on church. There are plenty of things to question about church. Things like, why is the music so loud? Or why is it so dark in here? Why are the services so long? And why should I listen to the guy on stage? It seems like he talks for hours. And they seem to talk a lot about giving. So where does all that money go? Is the church full of hypocrites? These people have to be faking it. Well, if you've asked these or other questions, you've come to the right place. This is A Skeptic's Guide to Church. Well, good morning and welcome to Northridge Church on this beautiful, cold, blizzardy day. And, you know, normally I would say, you know, welcome, we're one church in, in four locations, but this morning we're one church in many, many homes. And how amazing is it that through technology that although it feels like, man, church is canceled, but today, right now, at multiple homes all throughout our city, we're all gathering together, united, and worshiping God. And there's just something really cool about that. And so thanks for logging on and, and worshiping with us. Welcome to Northridge Church. We're grateful uh, for you. And, you know, this morning we're really kind of finishing up a series that we've been in for the last two weeks called A Skeptic's Guide to Church. And before we dive in, I want to encourage you, you know, obviously you weren't handed a program in your home when you woke up this morning. And so we have available to you the Northridge app. It's a place where you can log in and have notes that you can take because you're going to need them this week as you meet with your community group. And so don't skip out on that. Download that app and you can follow right along with me this morning. And so we're, we're finishing up this series called A Skeptic's Guide to Church. And all throughout the, the first two weeks of this series, we've, we've really been looking at church, or more specifically, Northridge Church, through the lens of a skeptic. And we've been answering the question, why? You know, why does Northridge Church do this? Or why don't we do that? Or why do we approach things this way? And so all throughout the series, we've been looking and answering some of those questions that you might have. Because we realize as skeptics, as people who ask questions, understanding the answer to the question why often changes the way we view things. But in order to really ask questions, you have to understand who we are as a church. Well, I mean, what's, what is the DNA that makes up Northridge Church? And it really starts with our mission. You see, our mission is to glorify God by making more and better disciples. That is who we are as a church, is we want to love people who are far from God, searching for God to know God. But we also want to grow people closer to God, to teach them obedience to God. And we didn't make that up. This isn't something, a cool slogan that we fell in love with. This, is, this comes from intentional sources. The first one is the Bible, God's uh, holy word for us, his revelation to us. And then secondly, the gospel, the greatest story ever told of Jesus rescuing us, reconciling us to God the Father. And so there, there's a source there. And then the way we fulfill our mission is through a process. We want to take people on a journey or, or lead them on a path. And that, that, that process starts with our two major pillars, worship and community. We, we recognize that majority of people start in a crowd. 
And we want to take you from that crowd and, and move you into relationships. We want to move you from a row to a circle where you can take God's word and, and start living it out. You can build healthy relationships and you can be cared for. And then we want to slowly over time teach you uh, to grow spiritually, to, to be obedient to God. To, to serve using your gifts locally inside the church and in our community, and then to lead you to invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we have this approach, the way we look at ministry, the philosophy our church has to step into ministry, and we look at it, we approach ministry through four lenses. The first one is excellence. The second is relevance, generosity, and simplicity. That's really ultimately what makes Northridge Church, Northridge Church. It's, it's how we, we are unique as a church. And then when you compile all those things together, when you see our mission working out and you see our people walking through a process and understanding our approach, it leads to this result that we are desperately praying for. That God would take people and he would turn them into fully committed followers of him, that we become fully devoted to Jesus Christ, all in, all surrendered, and all committed to him. And man, that is who Northridge Church is. That's the DNA of Northridge Church. But we recognize that in those things comes questions. Questions like why? And throughout this series, we started with the tension of our mission of more and better. And we've answered some of those why questions. We looked at our process and we've answered some of those why questions. And this morning, as we wrap up this series, we're going to zoom into our approach, our philosophy of ministry. And we're going to try to answer some of those questions that maybe you've been wrestling with. And so let's just jump into the journey. Let's just dig in this morning. Our approach starts with the first word. It's excellence. We want to be a church that does things to the best of our ability. We do our best because it honors God and inspires people. I mean, ultimately, that's why we, we desire to be excellent, and, and that's why we approach ministry that way is because we do our best because, one, it honors God. It brings glory to God when we give it all that we have and we try the best we can. And secondarily, it inspires people. And what's, what's kind of interesting is, is God really in his word defines what excellence is in, in multiple places. We start with Colossians chapter 3. It says this. It says, whatever you do. Whatever it is. And so for, for us as a church, it, it, it's greeting at the front door. We want to do that with excellence. We want to have a nice smile, whether it's the music we play or the, the messages that we teach or whether it's the way we love students or we engage with your children, whatever that is in our organization, but also for you as a Christian living out every single day, whatever you do, being a mom or a dad, being a husband or a wife, a, a teenager, a son or a daughter leading your business, whatever it is that you do, here's what God says is excellence. He says, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not human masters. And right there in scripture, God defines excellence for us. He challenges us to it. No matter what you do, give it all you got, not for your glory, but for the glory of God. Hey, let's dig a little bit deeper. 1 Corinthians 15, it says this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. And listen to this. It says, always give yourself fully. I believe that's that excellent part. Fully to the work of the Lord. 
because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. But let's turn the pages of scripture even a little bit deeper. Jeremiah chapter 48 verse 10, it says this. It says, a curse on anyone who is lax in doing the, work, the Lord's work. And right there we just see God's word, is, he leads us to this place of excellence. And ultimately excellence is us just doing the best that we can. But here comes the skeptic. Here comes the questions like, why? You know, I, I understand we're supposed to do all that we can to the best of our ability. But sometimes when I, when I go to a church or when I come to Northridge Church, it just feels like this giant show or this big concert or this ginormous production. And it feels like you're just trying to impress me. And I, I understand that tension. I've been to churches before where I have felt that tension myself. And, and I want to start by answering that question with this platform, with this foundation. I want you to understand our goal every Sunday morning and everything that we do is never to impress you. Man, we, we never want you to walk away on Sunday and say, wow, look how amazing Northridge Church is. You see, that's not our goal. Our goal is, is not to impress you, but it's to impact you. You see, when you walk away, we want you to walk away saying, wow, I couldn't believe God would do that for me. I, I couldn't believe that God loves me that way. I can't believe that God's word says that. You see, we don't want to impress you with our lights and our music and our messages. We want to impact you with the truth of God's word. And, and, and the reality is, is our culture today, is, is, they, we love excellence. We, we, we long for it almost. I mean, that's why, you know, America has fallen in love with Chick-fil-A because you can go there and get a fantastic chicken sandwich and you can also get excellent service. It feels good. We, we are drawn to excellence. And man, it, it, you think about people. We, we have connections with people. And oftentimes when we know somebody, we give somebody the benefit of the doubt, Right? You know, it's like the holidays, you, you go to grandma's house and you're hanging out with your family and grandma makes that turkey she makes every year and you sit down at the table and you're eating the turkey and you recognize, wow, this is chewy. This is dry, man. This is not that good. But grandma, you know, it's her famous recipe and she says, hey, everybody, how's the turkey? And we're all like, yo, it's amazing, grandma. It's awesome. We love it. And we give her the benefit of the doubt because we love her. But the truth is, is when it comes to the church, when we have visitors coming, they don't give us the benefit of the doubt. If we're not excellent and we have awkward transitions and, and we do things that make people feel a little bit tense and uncomfortable, guess what? They don't give us the benefit of the doubt. They just never come back. It, it goes back to what we talked about last week, that eye towards evangelism. Excellent plays a role in our eye towards evangelism. And just a saying that has shaped me as a man, that has shaped the way I, I look at the church and the way I lead and, and, and in my leadership is, is simply this. I, I believe this with my whole heart. If it's Christian, it should be better. If it represents God, it should be better. Because, I, I mean, at the end of the day, we're not talking about a recipe or a dry turkey or some famous chili. We're talking about people's eternities. And that matters. We should care about that. 
The fact is, if we, know, we know people all over that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the truth of God's word is they will spend eternity separated from God. And that matters. And that is why we have that eye towards evangelism. That is why we believe that if it's Christian, it should be better. Because I want you to understand this morning that okay is not always okay. I mean, have you ever seen those commercials that are out in our culture right now where they, they have that tagline, it's, it, it, it's okay, okay is not okay. And my, one of my favorite ones is the one where the guy's kind of laying in, the, in a hospital bed and he's getting ready to have surgery and he's talking to his nurse and he says to his nurse, like, uh, how, how good is this surgeon? And the nurse is kind of like taking notes and she, she looks at him and she's like, oh, he's okay. And then the, 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 the surgeon walks in and he says, oh, look who got reinstated. And the, the guy in the hospital bed looks at his surgeon and his surgeon says, hey, are you nervous? And the guy in the hospital bed is like, yeah, obviously I'm nervous. And the surgeon says, yeah, I'm nervous too. And it's like, whoa, hold on a second. Like, you're about ready to cut my body open. Like, you should not be nervous. That's not okay. And I'm telling you today, I as a person in this church, we don't want to represent God in an okay way. We don't want to declare to our community and to our city that God's just average. Because I don't know about you, but I serve this morning a God who is, in, who is excellent in every single way. He's flawless. He's perfect. And if I represent him, I want to represent him with excellence. And so that's why as a church we approach ministry with this, this value and this lens of excellence. But secondarily, we, we look at ministry through the lens of relevance. We want to be a church that is engaging with our culture, that knows what's going on. We will engage with our culture within the parameters of biblical authority. And I know that word relevance scares some people. Because they're afraid that we're going to bend towards culture at the stakes of the biblical truth. But here at this church, yes, we believe it's important to engage with our culture, to know what's going on in our culture. But we're going to do that within the fence line of the authority of God's word, within the truth of God's word. And so we don't bend towards culture when God's word says to stand firm. We have this, this parameter, this fence line that keeps us true to God's word. And we see Paul doing this as he leads the early church. He speaks about this in 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth. He says this, he says, To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. And here we see Paul's passion and his desire to be culturally relevant. Because what he's saying in this passage is he's saying, hey, I met people in the context and in the culture that they lived in. I met people exactly where they were, not to be just so cool and so hip that I'm following fads, but I did that. Paul says, I did that with the purpose that I might lead them to who Jesus is and his love for them. And at the end of the day, that's why as a church, we want to be relevant, not to say we're the, the coolest church on the block, so that we can find and engage with people in our culture, ultimately to lead them to Jesus Christ. But... 
here's where the skepticism comes in. Here's where someone would ask the question. You know, I, I, I get it, Drew. It, it's good to understand the context that we're in. We're, I mean, we're Northridge Church in Rochester. We got to know where God has placed us. But it just feels like sometimes we just use all the things of the world to, to reach people from God. I mean, are we just, why are we choosing to, to use things of the world to, to reach God? Are, is that what we're doing? And, and the simple answer to that question is yes. That is what we're doing. We're redeeming things of the world and, and using those things to ultimately point people to Jesus Christ. We, we have to understand that that's okay. And, and, and the, re, the, the reality is for many people, relevance we all agree with, you know, to a certain extent at least. You know, everybody, to some certain extent, we all agree with relevance because here's the truth. Many of you today, you know, when you come to Northridge Church, you come to one of our auditoriums, you're not saying, man, why do we have air conditioning or why do we have heat? No one's arguing that, but if you just, you know, go back in the past, those things weren't super relevant a couple, you know, a couple decades ago. I mean, no one's arguing this morning, why do we have chairs? You know, some of them are comfortable, some of them aren't. Shout out to you guys in Webster. I understand your pain. I hear your cries. But no one's arguing whether we're, like, hey, why are we using things of the world, ch chairs? You know, hey, no one's arguing whether we use an English Bible or not. You realize the Bible wasn't written in English? It's, it's a relevant thing that we have translated over time, the Bible, to fit our context and where we are. And so the question isn't, should we be relevant? It's how far do we go? And I will tell you, this church will never go past that line of sin to be cool with culture. You see, there's a line. It's sin. We will not sin to, to reach our culture. But we will, we will do anything we can, and we will use anything we can within the parameters of God's word to, 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 to declare the truth to people who are searching for it. And let me just kind of dig in a little bit deeper for you this morning. Because I, I, I want you to understand where we stand on relevance. I don't want you to walk out of here with any questions. So let me explain it even further. Here as the church, the Bible determines what we say. The, the Bible is, is where we get our content from. It's where we get our message from. And the Bible never changes. And so we take our cues on content, what we're going to say from the message of the Bible. And so... We start there. But secondarily, culture influences how we say it. And so our message never changes, but the methods we declare that message are constantly changing. We take our cues on delivery of the message from the culture we're trying to reach and grow. And so that's why oftentimes we, we, we shoot a lot of videos on site because that's the, the, the message, that's the, the, the verbiage of our culture today. Most of us spend majority of our time staring into a screen. And so we want to use that and leverage that in our culture to ultimately get the message across. And that comes from God's word. And what's interesting is you see that truth lived out in Jesus' life and in Paul's life. These are major leaders in, in the early church movement. Jesus is our savior. Paul is, is the guy who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament. And we see them living this out. Let me give you a simple example with Jesus. Luke chapter five, it says this. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. 
Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And here Jesus is, is using something very relevant to this culture to teach, to, to, to enunciate his voice. He gets in this boat, there's this large crowd, and he uses this boat to, and allows the water to, to allow people to hear him. Just a simple way, but let's, let's turn a little bit deeper. John chapter 10, Jesus says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. Now, can you imagine if Jesus lived in our culture today and said those words, I am a good shepherd, like, it wouldn't land for us. None of us are shepherds today. But if you go back thousands of years to the culture Jesus was talking to in that moment, majority of them, oh, that would have landed so strongly. I mean, if you put it into context, if Jesus was living today saying those exact same words, he might say, hey, I, I am the good leader or I am the good businessman or businesswoman because that would land in our culture. And then Paul, I mean, you see Paul going to a whole nother level. And I'd encourage you to read Acts chapter 17 this week as you dig a little bit deeper. But in Acts chapter 17, Paul goes to a place in Athens called Mars Hill, one of the most pagan places. And you know what Paul does? He quotes pagan authors and he uses pagan symbols to point them back to Jesus Christ. Amazing. Because he understood the context he met people where they were. He was relevant to them, ultimately, not to be cool, but to point people back to Jesus Christ. And so we approach ministry through the lens of excellence, through relevance, and then third, generosity. Generosity. We value joyful and sacrificial giving because it reflects the heart of God. We, we value and we celebrate joyful and sacrificial giving because it reflects who God is and it reflects the heart of God. And I'll just tell you, as a church, we're not afraid to talk about giving. We're not afraid to, to ask people to give, not just financially, but with their, their talents and their treasures and their gifts. We're not afraid because we believe it's part of growing as a better disciple of Jesus Christ. And we see this all throughout Scripture. Let me give you a couple of examples. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, it is more blessed to give than receive. I mean, I just, I really wish people would not, not just understand this verse, but experience it. Because most people who read this, ah, that's not the truth. But when you experience it, it comes alive. It's more blessed to give than receive. 2 Corinthians 9, it says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Corinthians says, hey, we, we should choose to give what God has led us to. And here's how we should do it, with a cheerful heart. Because God loves a person who says, man, I don't have to do this. I don't got to do this, but I get to do this because I get to play a part of what God is doing inside of his church. And then you want to see the heart of God, John chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, for God so loved the world that he gave. The greatest story in history begins with the generosity of God. And as a church, we want to approach ministry through that lens. And that's why as a church, there's been multiple times in our history where we love and we celebrate giving money away to invest in our community and to invest in people. And, and, and oftentimes, I don't think many people argue with the idea of generosity, but the skeptic comes in and he has two or she has two unique questions to why. Like, why, why, why do we, you know, it's not necessarily why do we give money away? Most people are, are all for that. 
But here's the first skeptic question is like, hey, I understand. I'm glad this is a generous church that's investing in our community. But my question is, how do we choose and why do we choose this ministry or this organization over that one? Because we have chosen as a church to invest in, in certain organizations, and that list is changing every year. And, and many people come to us like, hey, why do you give to this organization and not this organization? And I love that we get a chance to just kind of vision drip to you of how we go about choosing those. Our director of outreach, uh, Josh Horn, does a fantastic job leading our, our beyond ministry and our beyond uh, uh, giving through these four filters of how we measure which ministries and which organizations we should invest in. Let me, let me give you, we have four filters. The first one is impact. Impact. We don't want to just measure how many meals are served and how many beds are slept in. We want to measure the impact it's having on people's lives. Second, participation. We don't want just people to be given a free meal or, or a free place to stay. We want them to participate in the change they're, they're trying to reach. We want them to be players in the journey. Th third, effectiveness. We want to invest in ministries that have a history of changing lives, that have story after story of, of being an effective ministry or organization in our community that is really having an impact. And then fourth and final, I think this is probably the most important one, gospel-centered and holistic care. Man, we want to meet people's physical needs. But we meet their physical needs ultimately to show them their, their, their spiritual needs. That, man, the only true change comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's how we choose the ministries we give to is we walk them through these filters of impact, participation, effectiveness, and gospel-centered holistic care. But even in that comes another question. So someone doesn't necessarily ask what ministries we're, we're giving to, but the question they might ask is, I just don't understand why this church just declares from the mountaintops how much money they're giving away. And to give you an example, you know, just this last Christmas season, we, we gave away $130,000 to our community. And some people would say, why do you have to tell everybody about the money you're giving away? Sometimes it just feels like you are, you're just patting yourself on the back. It feels like you're serving yourself. And I want to be real for, for a moment, and, and I want to just speak to this, because I think this is a very wise question. And I think this is a question that we need to continually ask ourselves because I think even my heart and our, and our leadership team's heart and our staff's heart can easily fall into this trap where the only reason we give money away is because we want everybody to know how awesome we are. And I, I want to guard ourselves against that because the Bible is clear. I mean, some people would ask that question and it's completely rooted in scripture. Let me show you Matthew chapter six. It says this, it says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. So wow, you, you read that text and you're like, whoa. Why do we tell people about the money we give away? I mean, why, why, are, why, are we, why are we announcing it from the stage? I mean, God's word clearly says not to. But what's interesting, if you go back just a chapter before, it's almost like Jesus contradicts himself. Matthew chapter five, look what he says. He says, you're the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So man, wow, holy, holy crap, man. Like just a, a chapter before Jesus is like, hey, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't tell people when you give to the needy because you've already received your reward. But then a chapter before, Jesus is like, let everybody see your good deeds. Let, let every show, you're the light of the world and people gotta see the light and so show it to them. And how do you like, how do you solve that tension? And I think you have to understand where Jesus, what Jesus is trying to get at. Because what Jesus is ultimately saying in these two passages is the same exact thing. He's saying true generosity has pure motives. What Jesus is getting at is your intentions for forgiving. Your, your, your motives behind giving to the needy or your motives before, by, by showing that you're the light of the world. And what Jesus is saying is when, hey, you're the light of the world, guess what? Your purpose is, is to glorify your, your father in heaven, not yourself. And that's why he says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is so that you won't glorify you. But at the end of the day, you'll glorify your father in heaven. And see, when we're generous and, and when we, if we're generous and we only do it so people know how generous we are, we've missed it. Our motives are off. But when we give, we give with the right heart. So ultimately, God gets the glory. And so to answer that question, why do we tell people when we give? Well, one, you have to understand as, a, as an organization, we give money away on a regular basis. And a majority of the time, we don't tell anybody. It just goes under the radar. It's part of our systems. And so we don't announce it from stage every time we give money. In fact, it's, it's very rare that we do that. But when we do that, here's the purpose behind it. You have to understand that Northridge Church is built on the sacrifice of people. The only reason why we exist and the only reason why we meet Sunday after Sunday and we have community groups and all that we offer as a church, the only reason why we exist is because of the sacrifice of people, people giving faithfully. And so we want to be held accountable as leaders of the church of how we're spending that money and how we're giving that money away. And we also want to give people a tangible uh, expression of how God is using their sacrifice to impact the people of our community. And so that's why we do that. Not so people say, wow, look, Northridge Church is amazing. Again, we want people to walk away saying, wow, look how God is using my sacrifice to change people's realities. Because true generosity has pure motives. And then the last lens that we look at ministry through is the lens of simplicity. We are the church that have, has chosen to strategically invest our energy in certain areas, the main areas that we believe have the most impact. We choose to excel in few things rather than being mediocre in many things. We choose to, 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 to put our energy and in, in, in our excellence in few things rather than just putting our energy dispersed over many things and doing them mediocrely. And this is a choice that we have made as a church that we're gonna put a lot of our energy in our worship services and our community groups because we believe those are the foundations to everything we do. And, and we understand that if we say yes to something else, ultimately what that means is we're okay pulling energy from what we've claimed to be the main things to chase something else down. 
And here's where the skeptic comes in. The skeptic would say, man, I, I, I get that. But, you know, I, I came from another church and, man, God really used this thing in my life. It's changed my life. I'm just wondering, Northridge Church doesn't have it. Could we, could we have this here? I think this is a, a, a question that we get fairly on a regular basis. As someone comes to our church, like, man, my church did that. It was amazing. We got to add it to this. And I think those are, we love your opinions. We love getting ideas. But as a church, we have to balance, is that worth putting the energy into something and pulling from the things that we claim to be the main things? We also have to realize that, man, if we say yes to you who loves this thing, and then we say yes to somebody else who loves something else, eventually we become that church who's no longer simple. And so why do we choose simplicity? Well, because surveys show us that a person, a majority of people who find a church home offer that church around three opportunities or three hours. And you get to choose how you want to push people to spend those three hours or those three opportunities. And as a church, we have chosen to stay simple, to get people to be committed, one, to our weekend services. So that's the first opportunity. Two left. Then secondly, we want to push you from our worship services to, to community groups, to, to relationships. That's the second opportunity. And then third, we've, we've chosen to get you to invest your talents that God has given to serve here locally in our church and in our community. Not because we want something from you, but because we want something for you. And there are the three opportunities. Because we recognize that people have families. We recognize that people are chasing their kids around and they're doing things that they need to be doing. And so we have three opportunities to invest in. And so we want to keep our focus on the main things that make Northridge Church so great. I would say this and I would suggest this. You love what Northridge is. Probably mostly because of what it isn't. You love this church and what it is and the simplicity of it because of what it isn't. And that's why we value simplicity. And so when you look at, at our approach, we approach ministry through excellence. We want to be a church that does it well to the best of our ability because we represent God. We want, to, we want to walk and we want to approach ministry through relevance. We want to meet people in the context and the culture they're in, ultimately to push them to the truth of God's word. We want to be generous. We want to be generous in, in how we lead and in, in giving money away, not because we want people to know who we are, but we want people to know who God is and the heart of God. And then fourth, we want to be simple because we want to keep our focus on those main things that we believe have the most impact. And when you look at our church and the DNA of our church, when you look at our mission and you look at our process and you look at our approach, our, our goal and our prayer for every single individual who calls Northridge Church home is that you would get to the place where you are fully devoted and fully bought into who God is and being obedient to him. And so as we wind down this series, man, I had really two major prayers that, that God would do through this series. And, and one of those was I, I just prayed that God would answer some of the questions that you have. That God would, man, some of you, you, you've been wondering something for a while, and I pray that God answered that. He gave you clarity to that. But then secondly, my prayer was that you would just understand that we don't make decisions arbitrarily. We, we don't just, hey, that sounds like a great idea. Let's chase it down. Sounds cool. Awesome. We're going for it. But we, when we choose something, that we pray through it. We seek God through it. That we, we've, we've done research 
And we've seen it work in in other places and that we are just saying, God, use this. And I pray that you can trust us and I pray knowing that even if you don't land in the same camp that we do, even if you still have questions, you can look at us as a leadership team and be like, I know and I can trust those leaders because I know they prayed through that. I know they've researched it and they're trying the best they can. And I'll be honest, there are many times where we choose something and it doesn't always work the way we want it to. There's things that we have chosen that have failed, but we're okay with that knowing that we've tried our best and we'll apologize when we fail and we'll move forward together. But I recognize that even in three weeks of this series, I didn't have a chance to ever answer every single question. And so that's why I told you to submit your questions because we would take some time in our service to answer some of the questions that you still might have. And so that's what we're going to do with the rest of my time is we're going to answer some of the questions that you have submitted. And I just want you to know we've, we received a decent amount of questions. And so we don't have the time or the, the opportunity right now to answer every single one of those. But here's what I would tell you. If your question does not get answered, we will have someone on our staff reach out to you and answer that question for you. So you didn't submit a question in vain. We will get you that answer. And so let's spend some time answering some questions. First question is is this. It says, is there an update on the new Webster campus? Well, many of you might not know this, but um, right now, currently, our church is gearing up and planning and praying to take our portable campus in Webster that meets in a middle school and transition it into a permanent facility. And just to give you a quick update, there's not a, a lot of big news, but we are currently under contract with the building. We've, uh, we are under contract to purchase a building and to renovate that building. And so right now, we are just working through some of those plans. We are bringing in architects, and, and, and uh, uh, we're bringing in uh, people who we know have been there and done that. We're seeking advice. We're meeting with them, and we're just working through that plan. We've got 60 days of due diligence that we need to walk through slowly. And so here's what I would just challenge you. You know, as we update you, would you just pray with us? Pray that God would be in it, that he would lead us in the right direction and continue to to walk with us through this journey because it's an exciting time in the life of our church. All right, let's jump to the next question. Someone said, why don't we have an altar call or opportunity for salvation every service? Well, let me start by just kind of defining what an altar call is. Many of you might not know what that is, but an altar call is just a chance to respond in a message. Often an altar call is, you know, after a message or during a song, you ask somebody to stand and come forward to the stage. Um, And so that's what an altar call is. And so why don't we do those here at Northridge Church on a regular basis is one, it has to do with that eye towards evangelism. You know, we, we recognize that it's a big decision for someone to come to our church and a guest, probably the last thing they want to do is be called out or, or be embarrassed. And so we want to be sensitive to that. And so an altar call can be at times, especially for introverts, a very embarrassing thing. And so we want to be sensitive to that. Now, there will be times as a church that we ask everybody to get up and, and to do something, but that's why we have strategically kind of stayed away. But I would would say this, man, we give people a chance to respond in our services and online every single week. It's through a connection card. 
And, and we want people to, hey, I, I've got questions about faith. Will you check that box? You're responding. Hey, I want to be baptized. You check that box. I need a community group. When you check that box, you're responding and you're allowing us to walk with you through that journey. Because altar calls often are a public display. And so we would say at Northwood Church, our altar call is baptisms. It's a chance for you to publicly display what God has done through and in your life. And so I hope that gives you a little insight into why we don't necessarily do altar calls. Uh, Let's go to the next question. It says, um, would you consider offering a Saturday night or a Sunday night services? Uh, the quick answer to this question is yes, we would definitely consider it. Um, you know, we would have to pray through it and, and, and understand why we would be doing that. Um, but quickly, yeah, we would be open to that. Um, one thing that I really feel um, a burden and is part of my job responsibility as the lead pastor of this church is just to manage our staff. Uh, manage their health, their marriage's health. And so, um, you know, ministry is a 24-7 job. Um, My phone never stops ringing. It's kind of, I have to be available at all times in case of emergency. And I love it. I'm not complaining whatsoever. And here at Northridge Church, you got to know something about our staff is we work hard. One thing that all our new hires say is, is they say, hey, man, wow, I didn't know this was a moving train. And you guys work really, really hard. And we do. And we value that. But I, as, as the lead pastor, I have to shepherd our staff and be careful that we're not pushing them too hard. And when you add a Saturday night service or a Sunday, another service on Sunday, it just adds to the plate of things that we have to do. And so I have to shepherd those things well. But to, the short answer is, yeah, we, we would consider it. So let's move on. Let's go to the next question. Someone said, if I swear a lot, does it mean I won't get into heaven? How much is Okay. Okay, well, let's start with the first question. How do you get to heaven? And man, I want everybody to hear this because the truth is, is getting into heaven is, there's only one option there. Jesus makes that very clear. He says, I am the the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father through me. And so the way you get to heaven is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the only answer. That is the only way to get into heaven. And so whether you swear or not doesn't affect that decision. But here's what I would say is James says faith without works is dead. And so if you truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he will change and mold you. And so, man, if you're struggling with swearing and you would claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to seek God and say, God, help me with that. And I believe he will. God, change this in me. But here's a tension I have with this question. I don't want you to feel bad about it, but I think this is a tension and a mentality that many of us have as Christians, is that question, how much is okay? See, I believe a lot of Christians live this way, is we say, you know, how close can I get to sin without sinning? And I would say Jesus didn't call you to get as close as you can to the line. Jesus called you to holiness. He called you to righteousness. And so maybe we need to change our mentality of saying, instead of how close can I get to sin, maybe you should say, how fast can I run away from it? And so if swearing is your vice or your struggle, maybe you say today, hey, instead of saying, oh, how many swear words can I say before it's a sin? Maybe you just say, I won't say another one because I think that's what God wants us to chase. And so I hope that helps you get a picture of an answer for that question. Let's jump to the next one. It says, with communion, I understand why, I never understand why we are drinking blood, wine, juice, etc., and eating bread. Is that the flesh? Question mark. <laughs> what is the deeper meaning in all this? An outsider would think we are crazy and cannibalistic. 
This is a great question. Uh, let's start with communion. What is communion? Well, communion is a, a chance for us to remember what God did and, and him, him sacrificing. And as a church, we've decided to take part, to participate in communion around eight to ten times a year. And we do that in, in different areas. Sometimes we do it in a service and sometimes we do it in our community groups or a night of worship. And we recognize that this can be an awkward and weird thing for an unbeliever or a guest. But the one thing we have to understand is, one, we're not drinking blood and we're not eating flesh. The, the cracker and the juice are symbols. They are symbols of what Jesus accomplished for us. And so the juice symbolizes his blood that was shed for us. And the cracker symbolizes his body that was broken for us. That's why Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. To remember what he accomplished on the cross over our sins. And so I hope that explains it a little bit better for you. Also, the Bible never tells us how often to do that or where to do that. Because it can be a unique and sometimes a little bit awkward of a thing for an unbeliever. And so that's why we strategize and think critically of how we want to handle those situations. Last question. How do you decide which sermon series comes next? Um, I hope this gives you a little insight into how we work as an organization and as a church and how we plan. We just recently got done meeting with our sermon research team and our teaching team. We all get together. We kind of go away for a, a day and just spend some time um, trying to answer certain questions. Um, one, we, we asked the question, what does our church need to hear? What are some of the topics that we need to discuss and what are some of the books that we need to walk through? And so our team gets together and we pray through some of the things that we got to talk about every single year. We pray through the topics we're going to hit and the books we're going to look at and study and walk through. And then what we do is we plan our sermon series about a year out. And so we kind of put it on the calendar. We plan around the calendar and what the answers to those questions are, knowing that six months of them are going to be solid, set in stone. We're going to walk through those topics or those books. And here's the amazing thing, and here's how awesome God is and how sovereign he is. You know, just this last couple of weeks, our community walked through something very difficult. We got to see how divided and how um, struggling our country and our, our community is through division. And a year ago, as we prayed and we seek God, we planted a series called Fractured, all on the divisions that we face not knowing that what God had in store and what God had planned for our community. In fact, I'm so excited for this series and what God's gonna do through it. And I wanna show you um, just a little small glimpse of where we're headed. Check this out. We will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. This overwhelming amount of sexism that has been on display this year. You have to stop demonizing people and realize the biggest terror threat in this country is white men. I gave everything I can to my children. If I had to go without, it's okay, as long as my children had. 